some Christians want enough of Christ to be identified with him, but not enough to be seriously inconvenienced. They genuinely cling to basic Christian orthodoxy, but do not want to engage in serious Bible study. They value moral probity, especially of the public sort, but do not engage in war against inner corruptions. They fret over the quality of the preacher's sermon, but do not worry much over the quality of their own prayer life. Such Christians are content with mediocrity. Wow. Dave Carson, a Reformed evangelical professor, theologian, had said this, and as I read through it, I thought to myself, oh no, that's you. (laughs) You know? How often are we Christians who are willing to settle for mediocrity? You know, I read through Scripture and I find things like in Matthew 16, I must lose my life to gain it. Mark 10, I must serve if I ever want to lead. Luke 13, to be last if I want to be first. And yet all of my natural inclinations are more inclinations toward comfort and security and self-promotion. And even as we've read through Romans, I read that if we want to live, I mean truly live, then we must die. Not simply die once, but picking up our cross daily and dying over and over again. And yet, that's not the life that I always want to live if I'm honest with myself and I settle for mediocrity. I think this is the same kind of mindset that Paul was writing into in the church in Rome as they were coming up with excuses and they were asking questions that he was addressing. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 6 as we pick it up. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so the questions are being asked, should we just keep on sinning? I mean, if God's grace is shown in those ways, shouldn't we show God's grace uh, through the way that we continue to disobey? And his answers throughout different versions uh, uh, come across like this. God forbid. Also in another Revised Standard Version, by no means. New English Bible. No, no, certainly not. And in a paraphrase, what a ghastly thought. And Paul says, how? How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? And so he's saying, I get it. You don't understand that you died. You don't get it. You don't understand. You think you're still slaves to your old way of life, to the decisions that you used to make. You don't understand death. And so then he goes on, and, and, uh, and what he does is he, he's saying that I want to tell you what this looks like. See, so many Christians are, are thinking about justification uh, for glorification, and let me tell you what that is. Uh, justification, we've talked about a number of times, being made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus in order that we may enter into his glory in heaven. 
You know, we all want a Savior, somebody to save us from our sins so that we don't have to go to hell, which is what we earned, what we deserve. And so it's glorification, or justification towards glorification. We want a Savior, but we don't always want a Lord. You see, we're missing the whole middle part of this, which is the lives that we will live while we're on this earth as he makes us more and more like him, this concept of sanctification, becoming more like he is, more like his son, more in line with God's word. And that's all about lordship. And so then to emphasize this truth, he paints a picture of death so that we can have a better understanding Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised by the dead, uh, from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. See, we were buried into his death, raised by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to walk in a new life. He continues, verse 5, For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For who has died has, set, has been set free from sin. And so he goes into this. The old nature, the old man has been crucified. And he had described that old nature in chapter 1, and, and it included all of us. Before this, we had no choice but to sin. Even the good we did was self-promoting and was not God-glorifying and therefore was sin. But in 2 Corinthians, he puts it differently. Paul, again, writing, and it mirrors a lot of what he says in Romans. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all. That those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, he's saying, your old self is dead. Your, your, your obedience to your sinful nature has been died. It was crucified on the cross. Your death was uh, symbolized in your baptism and burial with Jesus to be raised again. Baptism is, is this picture that he starts to paint. Baptism is, a, is an amazing thing. That it's kind of like a funeral and a wedding and the birth of a child all wrapped into one. This glorious moment, and we have the wrong idea of funerals, especially as Christians. We need to do a better job of celebrating, and especially in this spiritual death, what a thing to celebrate that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are born again, so it's a birthday, and then we are united with God in a way that we have not been because of the nature of sin that reigned inside of us. And so it's this wedding also of us coming together in a right relationship with Jesus. 
Let's read verse 8 again. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him for the death He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have to consider yourselves rightly, he says. But so often we don't think of ourselves rightly. We answer uh, to our past mistakes and we identify with our shortcomings. And too often we are drawn to our old self and we don't understand that we have died and we now have freedom for a new life. Ricardo Sanchez said this, The devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. And how often do we identify ourselves by our sin, by our past mistakes, by our shortcomings, by the ways that we feel like we have let God down? He knows our sins, and yet he calls us by name. And do you remember the names that that Paul used in chapter 1 when he was addressing the believers in Rome and also us? He's saying that you were loved ones. You are brothers and sisters. You are saints. These are identity statements. This is who we are and we have to live according to those things. Once we have right thinking, uh, then we can move on to right action. He continues in, whoa, that's moving all over. Let sin not therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but now you are under grace. In the temple, there was, there was instruments. They were holy. They were set aside uh, for specific uses within worship uh, and within the temple square. And, and you know what that's like. You know, I think of like, like grandma's china or maybe your china, uh, depending on how that works for you. You know, but I tell you what, growing up, if I ever walked out of the kitchen with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on grandma's china, she'd have freaked out on me, Right? What are you doing? You can't have peanut butter and jelly on that. That's for Christmas and Easter. Put it away. No, she wouldn't even let me put it away. Give it to me. Just give it to me. Can't believe him touching the china. Right? But that's who you are. You are set aside. You are holy for his purposes, his instruments. And yet we use ourselves for common tasks like a paper plate should have been used for the peanut butter and jelly sandwich because we don't have a right identity and thinking within ourselves. Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means, he says again. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who once uh, were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. 
I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and, limit, uh, and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He says, I'm speaking in human terms. I'm trying to put this in, in a way that you can understand. And then he compares them to slaves. You were once slaves. You were slaves to sin. And I think that's a good indicator or, or, or picture of what we think of when we think of slaves. We often think of somebody that has been sold into slavery and is there without choice. And, and, and is in chains and has to do what the master says. But in their day, he goes on to says, but you can be slaves of righteousness, which leads to sanctification. We'll talk about sanctification in a second. But, but slaves in those days weren't always sold into slavery. Those that didn't have means would often give themselves to a wealthy family to have their families taken care of and to provide food and housing uh, for them and their wives and their kids. And, and they would be uh, servants and they would self-surrender themselves into these kind of relationships to have their needs met. And so he's saying, we were once sold captives of sin, which leads to death, and we had no choice, but now we freely give ourselves as servants to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now you notice it doesn't say that, that it leads to life. You know, the, of being a slave to sin leads to death. Wouldn't being a slave of obedience lead to righteousness? Well, no, or lead to life? Not really, because the wages of our sin is death, but the payment for our right deeds is not life. Jesus paid that. But when we interact with God in sanctification, it leads to righteousness. And that's because we don't have an active role in saving ourselves. Jesus did all of that. For us, justification is easy. That's the part that Jesus, it, it wasn't easy for him, but for us, we just have to accept it. But sanctification, that takes work. Sanctification is a lifelong process of engaging God and allowing him to make us more and more like him. Oswald Chambers said this, he wrote, uh, the utmost, uh, my utmost for his highest. He said, sanctification means being made one with Jesus so that the disposition that ruled him will rule us, and it will cost everything that is not of God in us. What a great last statement. It will cost everything that is not of God in us. Sanctification is the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives in a way that one by one, each area of our lives is put in line with God, and it is a lifelong journey towards holiness and, and it is in a resistance to sanctification that christians settle for mediocrity it's this thought that that we have fire insurance justification for glorification just so we can get into heaven when god says i have so much more intended for you while you walk on this planet to give you life abundantly if you will give yourself to me one peace at a time and that is the process of sanctification verse 20 for when you were slaves of sin you were free in regard to righteousness you didn't have to worry about it but what fruit were you getting at that time from the from the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So where do we start with this? Obedience to sin leads to death. Obedience to righteousness leads to sanctification whose end is eternal life. And this kind of understanding and knowledge is one thing, but then to move forward in it, where do we go? Where do we start? And for many of us, we should start right where Paul did. Paul, in the beginning of this, when he's saying, oh, you don't get it, you don't understand, let me paint a picture for you of death again, and of death that is represented in your baptism. You see, baptism for most of us is, is a first act of obedience is the first act of obeying God and Jesus, not only as Savior, but as Lord. Not that he's just going to get us into heaven, but that he is going to help guide us through our life. And let's just recap a little bit of, of Romans and what we've talked about, okay, in order to get here. The first is, is that all have sinned. All of us have sinned. Remember back in chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us falls short. We all do not make it on our own goodness or righteousness or actions. Sin entered the world at creation and it's been broken ever since and we are all included in that. And there's a price to sin. The price of sin is, is talked about in, in Romans 6. We just read it, actually. The wages of sin is death. When you think about a wage, you know, what you get paid, the payment for sin is death, which means this, you've earned it. You ever work a hard day's work and get your pay? I earned this paycheck. Well, guess what? You earned death. Then the second part of that verse, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Okay, so the problem, though, is dealing with this. And we see about this in the book of Hebrews, where it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, this is what we had talked about a few weeks ago uh, with atonement or propitiation where Jesus met the need of God's wrath because we all deserve death and he died in our place so that we could have a relationship with him. And so there had to be payment in blood and Jesus made that payment for us. Romans 5.8 is the answer to sin. In Romans 5, 8, he says this, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And also in 1 Peter chapter 2, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. And so this picture of our own fallenness, of a need for somebody to make a payment in our place, and then for him to come in, his one and only son, to meet that need and answering uh, the payment for sin. And that brings us to our part. What are we supposed to do? The first part is believe. In Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Now, this thought of belief as we engage it, and, and while there's nothing we can do to earn our, our uh, forgiveness, we see here it's so that nobody can boast we can't earn it. It's this thought of belief or faith. 
Has anybody been to Niagara Falls? A handful. Niagara Falls is a pretty amazing place. I've been there uh, years ago, and the power of, of the water coming down shakes your chest cavity. And, and way back in the day, there was this guy named the Great Blondin. Okay, and the Great Blondin uh, was a tightrope walker, and there's a tightrope stretch from the Canadian side to the American side of the falls. And he would walk across this tightrope, and when he did, crowds would gather. And as they gathered one day, he, he stood on the side and he says, who believes I can walk across this tightrope? And they scream, we believe, we believe they've heard uh, about this before. And so they wanted to see it happen. Yeah, we believe. And so he says, okay, who believes I could walk across this tightrope pushing a wheelbarrow? And they all scream out, yeah, we believe, we believe, that'd be awesome. And so they're screaming and cheering and says, who believes I could walk across this tightrope pushing a wheelbarrow with somebody sitting inside? And they cheer, we believe, yeah, and even if you can't, what a show that will be. You know, I, I don't know if they said that. <clears throat> and, and then he said this, who wants to sit in the wheelbarrow? So this thought of faith or belief is not just an intellectual one. It's one where we're putting our faith and our lives in God's hand. Saying, I will get in the wheelbarrow. God, not only do I trust you as Savior, but I trust you as Lord to take me where you need to get me. Not on my own ability to get across, but on your ability to take me across. And so believing is first step. Then to confess or repent, Acts 2.38, after he, Peter had preached this sermon about the goodness of God and how he had fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies waiting for a Savior, they asked what we should do, and he says that you should repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This thought of repenting then is doing a 180. Instead of doing what you want to do, going your own route, making him Lord and going the way that God wants you to go. Now here's the thing about lordship is often God wants the same things that you want. He wants to use you in your career choice. He wants to use you in your neighborhood. He wants to use you in the places you already are. But the focus is not now on us. It's on dying to self and focusing on him. And again, that's this concept of lordship. Confessing, I know, I recognize those first things that I have fallen short. That I can't get there on my own. And confessing that you are the only way to heaven following him in that. And then the last is baptism. And really it's a first. It's this first act of obedience as we talked about. It's a first act of following him and making him Lord. And Paul is saying you have to understand baptism. You have to understand death. That you are no longer bound by sin and there is something about going under the water, being buried with him in his death, coming back out to walk in a new life that helps us to really grab a hold of that truth and live according to God's goodness in our lives and not according to our old selves. 
Now, baptism that we teach, we believe in a believer's baptism, which is this, that, that people that are making a decision for themselves to be baptized. Now, I'm not putting a down or, or aside anybody that had, had a baptism as a child uh, or was sprinkled or dedicated as a child. I understand that that's a part of a lot of people's family and histories. What we're simply saying is when we look at baptism in Scripture, it's always a believer who is making a decision for themselves. And a lot of the sprinkling comes from a different time and a different age uh, when the Black Plague was, was ravaging the countryside and, and they couldn't be dunked underwater when infant mortality rates were through the roof and so they were trying to get children baptized uh, to save their souls. And, and so it had a time and a place that we don't think it holds as much any longer. And so even if that's your story, we want to encourage you and challenge you as you read through Scripture to go, is this something that I should be obedient in also? I mean, the way I look at it is, man, I wish that I could be obedient for my child, right? Wouldn't it be so much easier if I could just make the decisions for my kids? You know, but we have to be obedient for ourselves. My child is responsible for himself and herself, and so what is it that you're being led to? It represents uh, this inward, outward show of an inward decision, okay? Uh, it's not magical water. There's nothing special about the water. I baptize people in lakes and rivers. Uh, and I, heard, I know of a guy that got baptized in a horse trough. We used to use a pool at the YMCA, hot tubs. Uh, it doesn't matter where. Um, there's nothing magical about the water itself. And the reasons that we teach baptism uh, is this. That Jesus commands us, Matthew 28, to be baptized. He commands us to be baptized. Jesus himself in Mark chapter 1 gave us an example by being baptized himself. Every believer in the age of the church, was, which is Acts and beyond, who came to know Jesus and understand his story, responded in baptism. And i got to be honest, I'm hard-pressed to even come up with a hypothetical situation where somebody wouldn't be baptized. In, in Acts, there's an Ethiopian who, who was riding along and, and uh, he was shown what the book of Isaiah was saying and he comes alongside and he says, uh, and there was a body of water and he says, so here is a body of water, what prevents me from being baptized? And they stopped right then and there and baptized him. Well, let me check. Yep, it's wet. It's a body of right here, water right here. What's to prevent any of us from being baptized? So some of us, when it comes to lordship, need to, to, to step up and to not settle for mediocrity, but to give ourselves one piece at a time over to Jesus and say, God, I want you to reign in this area of my life. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe right now you need to grab the card and mark baptism and, and we can sit down and talk or, or we can get bat you baptized next week. Or maybe some of you need to just walk forward this morning. We'll dunk you. I heated it up. Mike did actually last night. I'll go in like this. I'm not joking. Let's do it. I'll never forget sitting with a kid, uh, a guy that I was in, my roommate, we had a Bible study every Monday night in Bible college, and, and he was talking about getting baptized for month after month after month, and finally one day at the end of our Bible study, we were talking about this, it was midnight, 
And I was like, all right, let's go. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, let's go to the creek. Let's go right now. And he's like, no, we can't. I was like, why can't we? And so we loaded up. There was about a dozen of us guys, and we went midnight, and then this massive thunderstorm opened up. And I was like, we're all going to die in the water, but okay. And we baptized them right then and there. So what's stopping you? And this is just one step of obedience, making him Lord, helping us understand that we are no longer bound by sin, but that we are agents of righteousness to be used by him. If you want to get baptized, come on up. We're going to sing a song here. We're going to have our communion time. I'm going to be sitting up front. We'll do it this morning. That's fine. You want to write it down? We can do it next week. You want to have family or friends here. But just respond to him in an act of obedience as, again, one more step in making him Lord of our lives. The band's going to come up. Dear God, I thank you so much that we are set free from our old selves where we had no choice uh, but to bring shame to you, God, to put separation between us and you. But now when we have a relationship with your son, God, that we are are connected to you, God, and, and you look at us and you see the goodness of your own son. I thank you for that. Allow us to, to give up our, uh, our lives, God, one piece, one area at a time to you. God, I thank you that you are so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.